Well, today's text is going to be Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And it's on page 65 uh, in the uh, seat Bibles. It's different saying seat instead of pew. Interesting. So uh, it's four short verses. And so I didn't ask anybody to read those. I thought I could maybe get four verses in. So let's see if we can, can read four verses this morning. Uh, verse 1. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. And for all out of their surplus put in the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Well, as we, before we be, actually begin today's lesson, I want to give you a little background and maybe a little speculation as well. According to BibleHistory.com, the temple contained three courts. In the Eastern Moor Court was the court of the women, and it was about 200 square feet in, in dimensions. It's kind of the size of one of our class, students' classrooms, or children's classroom, to give you kind of a side. And one wall, there was a wall of colonnade, of, of columns on one wall, and also on that wall, there was 11 treasure chests. Now, these treasure chests looked like upside-down trumpets. They had a very narrow top, and they would go down to a big bowl in the bottom, and this is where people would come and put in their offerings. Now, there was two more of these treasure chests at the gate coming in, uh, and those were used for the temple tax. So this, this is kind of the setting that we have for this. In addition to that, Jesus and his disciples probably weren't the only ones standing in this courtyard watching what was going on. When I was in college years ago in Brownwood out at Howard Payne University, go Yellow Jackets for anybody that rem remember them. Not many will. We had a guy from another small town, and he had a girlfriend up in Denton that was going to North Texas State. So we were all poor college kids, and he had a, a motorcycle, and he would come up to see his girlfriend at North Texas, and they would go to the Triangle Mall, buy a Coke, and sat out in the mall and watched the people go by. That's how poor we were that, you know, they had people watching as, as their date. Well, think back to first century uh, and these folks. What did they do for entertainment? You know, there was no radio. There was no television. There was no movies. What did they do? Well, one of the things that these folks would do is they would go to the temple and they would watch the rich people come in, no, no, the guys in the purple and blue, and put in their offerings. And they would go ooh and ah at the way these folks were dressed. That was their entertainment. So Jesus was there doing that. And then they see this poor widow it talks about. And she was poor. You know, you kind of could tell by the way she was dressed. She wasn't dressed like the rich people. And, and she was kind of drab and very ordinary and well, she finally got up to the treasure chest to put in her, her offering, you know, these two very small copper coins. It wasn't much of a crowd pleaser. In fact, there probably wasn't much ooing and going on. In fact, some people might have turned their heads in an embarrassment. Others might have even snickered at what she was doing, but not Jesus. Jesus really got excited over this. You know, this was a teaching moment for Jesus. In fact, Luke thought this was so important that he recorded it in his gospel for us to hear about today. So this morning, I want to talk about giving. 
And I want to talk about hearts. Now, Pastor Jerry being gone has given me an early Christmas present. I'm the executive pastor. I'm the guy that talks about budgets. I work with numbers. So I get to talk about hearts and I get to talk about giving. Now, I did a little research real quickly. I looked back, and the last time on our website, if you look at the topic of money, the last time we had a sermon on that was October of 2015. So if you're visiting with us, we don't talk about money a whole lot. And if you are a member, you know we don't talk about money a whole lot. But today, we're going to talk about money a whole lot. (laughs) So verse 1, it says, And he looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in her two small copper coins. We see the rich and the widow offering their gifts. But why? Why were these folks at the temple giving money? You know, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money. And almost half of those verses talk about giving. Almost 1,000 verses talk about giving. Something that I'm afraid we often forget is God is the creator. Now that we remember, but we don't remember that God is the creator and the owner of everything. Everything that's in the earth, including our financial resources. God charges us to be good managers. Good managers of what he has given us. The money we have is a blessing from God, and it belongs to God. Our money. And that's funny, it's really not our money. You see, you really did hear me correctly. The money that's in your wallet, that's in your pocket or purse, even in your bank account or your retirement account, it's, sorry, it's really not yours. And yes, I know that you've really worked really hard. And I know that you've saved and even sacrificed. But when you look at the big picture, when you look across it, you see that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And what do we have that we did not receive? The psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns it all. God owns it all and we are his asset managers. He has provided us with health and abilities and jobs and that turns into money. God owns it all. Everything is his And it's not just our tithes and offerings, but everything. God is the owner, and he has trusted you, and he's trusted me to be the managers of his stuff. Managers of his stuff. And he has given us his Bible, his word, his instruction book to take care of our households. To leave an inheritance to our children and to our children's children. Dave Ramsey said that he gave us instructions to live like no one else so that later that we could live and give like no one else. You know, I've done some looking. You can look for yourselves. Look in God's Word and see if you can find anywhere where God, the creator of the universe, ever transferred ownership to us, his creation. Ramsey said maybe it helps when we understand that we don't own anything, that you and I are just managing assets, managing God's assets. If you let that sink in, if you think about that, if you meditate that on for a moment, it might, it might just change the way you think about money. 
As we've already said, not only does the tithe belong to God, but everything else belongs to God too. And God continues providing instructions on giving. And we see his, the people in this text following those instructions. In Malachi chapter 3, God said, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. The Lord instructs the Israelites to bring the tithe into the storehouse. The Old Testament storehouse fed the tribe of Levites and the priest of Aaron. It also took care of the prophets, the Hebrew widows and the orphans that were living within the city walls, and the Gentile women and orphans that were living around the city. The New Testament, you know, the modern day equivalent of the storehouse is the local church. It's the ridge. And the local church provides for the needs of the pastor and the staff, for missionaries and widows and orphans, and for the non-believers in the local community. So we encourage our members to give to the local church, to give to the rich as a corporate body, because we pool our resources together in order to support Christ's work. Well, we've mentioned the tithe, and the definition of the tithe is to offer 10% of any income, property, or produce. And tithing is one of the first standards ever found in the Bible. Way back in the first book, in the book of Genesis, before the law was even given, we read that Abraham tithed. And then we move forward to the book of Deuteronomy and the law. In chapter 26, it defines how the Jews were to give. Now in the New Testament, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we now live under grace. However, that's not a license for us to do nothing. In Corinthians, Paul said, Each one of us must do as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our attitude in giving is an indicator of God's lordship of our lives. He desires for us to be joyous and merciful in our giving. He doesn't want us to give begrudgingly or under a submission to the law. And by giving the first fruits of our financial resources, we are acknowledging God's position as owner and ours as managers. Giving to the Lord reminds us of who God is and who we are and how our relationship should be to do the things He has allowed us to manage. You know, if we were a, a farming community, the first fruits would make a lot more sense. As the name applies, this is the first items that were harvested. So if you had 100 acres of corn, then 10% would be the first 10 acres of corn. That would be your tithe. For the ridge, where the area's average family income is somewhere around $70,000, the first fruits gift would be the first $7,000 of income. That would be 10%, the tithe. And for some of you, this is the first time you ever heard about this 10% thing, this tithing thing. And for others in this room, this is old hat. Still others wish they could give 10%. And I dare say there are here that people are here that are saying there's just no way while others say, I wish I could give 2%, a little less 10. 
So I want you all to listen to two things I'm about to say. These are very important pieces besides tithing. I want to make sure we all understand these two things. Number one, God does not need your money. God does not need your money. And number two, the Ridge Church does not need your money. Again, I'm the executive pastor. I'm holding my heart when I say that. The Ridge does not need your money. The elders will have a meeting with me later. Don't worry about it. And we're not talking about money because God needs it or the church needs it. That's not the reason we're talking about money. And you know, I'm going to try not to laugh, but it is really funny. Just think, the creator of the universe, God. God spoke and poofed stars in the moon. God spoke again and the third rock from a middle-sized star was created and it was the earth. And it contains all the oil, all the diamonds, all the silver, all the gold, and all these other resources. This belongs to God. So do you think he really needs your money? I just don't see God needing your money. And if you remember the first part of this lesson, he already owns it anyway. So we just get to manage money for God. And there must be, there has to be another reason God wants us to give. I also said the ridge does not need your money. You know, this, if you look at the bulletin at the inside of it, the bottom right-hand corner, it talks about year-to-date giving. If you look at that number, it says that we're $9,000 ahead of budget this year. Now, most of you are here every week, and you know that number's not always in the black. It's usually in the red. But I needed a sermon illustration, and God provided a sermon illustration. <laughs> we're $9,000 ahead, so praise the Lord. Right above that, though, there's a paragraph that talks about giving. And in that paragraph, it says that the Ridge budget is $538,000. Our annual budget is $538,000. I dare say that that's a bigger budget than any family in this room. The elders don't want you to give drudgingly or under compulsion. We don't want you to be little miniature Pharisees or little Christian Boy Scouts that are going to do their best to do their duty to give your tithe, to give your gift to the church because that's what Jesus wants. No. Nope. Jesus does not want your money. I agree with John Piper, Jerry's favorite author. He says that Jesus wants his people to take risk with their money for the cause of God. Remember way back in Luke 12, Jesus calls the man a fool who chose security over the risk for the cause of God. The man said, I will say to my soul, so you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? A few verses later, Jesus said, Do not be anxious. Seek the kingdom of God. A little later, he says, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts which you not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. 
you're the only one that knows. You're the only one that knows what you give to the cause of God and for the cause of the gospel. What I do know, though, is that most of us, most of us will risk doing the will of God before we will risk our money. Jesus taught that the way we handle our money is a good indicator of where our hearts are. We are to honor the Lord by bringing a cheerful giver of what God has blessed us with. We encourage you to give sacrificially to the work of the Lord as he leads you. You know, the money we have is a blessing from God and it belongs to God. How we use our financial resources are a reflection of our hearts toward God. Our resources are a reflection of our hearts toward God. You know, back in the day, some 50 years ago, churches would have folks give up and talk and give a stewardship testimony. Now, these were short talks to encourage people to tithe. So my dad was asked to give one of these talks. So he gets up and he starts talking about how happy he is that my mom and him are finally able to give 2%. Now, I'm sitting down with the students, and I hear my dad say 2%, and we've been talking about 10% tithing, so I'm about ready to go underneath the pew. I can't believe, Dad, what are you doing talking about 2%? It's 10%. What do I do? And I'm, like I said, I'm about ready to, to go under. And my dad finishes his talk, and he says, you know, God expects 10%. So this 2% I'm talking about, I'm fine. my wife and I are finally able to give 2% above the 10. And I'm going, way to go, Dad. That's a good talk. <laughs> you see, giving consists of four progressive stages. And with each step, it builds upon the previous. The first is tithing. It's a reflection of our testimony of God's ownership. And then obedience is sharing obediently and according to God's word. And then there's abundance, where out of a loving expression, we get to help somebody else. And then there's sacrificing, where we give up something to help somebody else. And so not only does the tithe belong to God, but all belongs to God, all of it. Again, Paul said, each one must do Jesse has a purpose of heart, not grudgingly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So many people give above 10%, and a lot more than just 10%, but their hearts aren't right. And it's just like these men in today's text. Others may not be able to give as much, but their hearts are dedicated to the Lord, as seen by this poor widows in today's text. Verse 3 and 4 say, And he said, Truly I said to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they, out of all their surplus, put in the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. God is looking for willing and obedient hearts, regardless of how much we give. How we use our financial resources are a reflection of our heart toward God. You know, it's an easy lesson on giving when we first look at these verses. 
But I like to look a little closer at that last verse. She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. What do you envision? What do you think about when you hear these words? She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Here was a woman that was in need of receiving charity. She needed help. Yet she had the heart to give. Even though the amount was negligible. In fact, these coins were probably the smallest value that was ever minted. Even 2,000 later, if you look at today's value, these coins were probably worth less than a penny. In fact, at her time, it took three pennies to buy a sparrow if you wanted to offer a sparrow for an offering. So the, not the amount of gift, she gave it, it to the God because she thought he could use it. Even so small of a gift. The widow's faith is also evident in the fact that she gave the last of her money. You know, like the widow of uh, Zarphath who gave her last meal to Elijah in 1 Kings 17. You know, the widow in the temple gave away her last means of self-support. And does that mean that the widow left the temple completely destitute, went home, and died of starvation? You know, I don't think so. Because the Bible teaches us that God provides for our needs. And we don't know the details of this particular widow's future, but we can be certain that she was provided for. Just as God provided for the widow and son in Elijah's day, God also provided for the widow in Jesus' day. And I think it was quite interesting, just before Jesus commented on the widow's might, he commented on the scribes who devoured the widows' houses. The religious officials of the day, instead of helping the widows in need, were perfectly content to rob them of their livelihood and of their inheritances. The system was corrupt, and the darkness of the scribes' greed made this widow's sacrifice shine even brighter. Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. And he is faithful to take care of his own. I also think this widow practiced her faith. Moses wrote that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The widow showed the world her faith, her love for the great I am by her sacrificial giving. I also think it would be safe to say that she displayed her faith by practicing the rest of God's teaching, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. As we begin, Luke recorded something Jesus wanted us to know. Not just about giving, but about our hearts and about our love. You see, the rich guys in the story could have given more, but they loved themselves they loved their stuff, even their families, more than they loved God. The poor widow loved God more than anything else. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So today I have to ask, how are you doing? Are you like these rich guys and just dialing it in? 
Are you coming to worship on Sunday just to be seen? Are you being like the little miniature Pharisees and little Christian Boy Scouts just checking off their to-do list? You know, putting a few dollars in the offering plate and going home. You know, following the easy parts of the law, but not the heart, not the heart of the law. Maybe you're here trying to be like the widow. You try to love God and love your neighbor, at least most of the time. But you're struggling. You've got lots of reasons, you know, lots of excuses. You're not all in, why you're not all in. And you have other commitments, you know. You've got demanding jobs. You've got school or you've got kids that have to be in 101 different activities. But the long story short, something besides God is number one in your life. You love something or you love someone more than you love God. You know, there was a group of Christians that were talked about in Matthew chapter 7. These folks saw and they actually spoke with Jesus. In fact, these guys went out on a mission trip. They spread the gospel they healed people. In fact, some of them even prophesied. But their hearts weren't right. Their hearts weren't right. Their actions were not done out of love. And Jesus tells them in this chapter that they missed the boat. That they just didn't get it. That they didn't practice what they were professing. And Jesus sent them away. Sent them away to spend eternity in hell. So today we have a chance. We have a chance to turn everything around. A chance to put our faith and our words into action. Now two jobs our pastors have are to teach God's word and to equip the saints. So this morning I've tried to teach God's truth with some tough loving words. But in two weeks on March the 23rd, we're going to have a time of equipping. We're going to train you guys and anyone else that we will come on Harold to share the greatest story that's ever told. We're going to how, train you how that you can tell people in your sphere of influence, the people that you know about God's perfect plan of salvation. So this is an opportunity that you just don't want to miss. You can't pass it up. In fact, Paul tells us that that's the very reason that you were saved. He says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. And behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, that's you and me, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He was committed to, he has committed to us, you and I, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we, you and I, are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ were making an appeal through you and I. So we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
So I don't want to see any hands this morning. But is anyone here a Christian? If so, these verses are for you. You are Christ's ambassador. You are Christ's ambassador. And Jesus wants to use you to make appeal to this lost world. In fact, Jesus himself said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. It is a command to go. If you call yourself a Christian, Jesus said, go. Read over it again. I don't see an option statement in here. It's a command. Go. For those that know me, I'm a natural introvert. I would much rather be in my office right now working on a spreadsheet than standing in front of you guys. Or standing in front of somebody I don't know. It's just way, way out of my comfort zone. But Jesus said, Isabel, you got to go. And not only did he tell me I had to go, he also said, I've got your back. You're never going to be alone. I can stand here in front of you and tell you honestly and truthfully that that statement is true. You see, for the last several weeks, even several months now, the staff has gone out every Monday across the street to the Autumn Chase Apartments, and we've knocked on doors. Now, for an introvert, that is a scary thing. I'm way out of my comfort zone. But I've got two friends with me. I'm not by myself, so there's always three of us when we go. But I also have Jesus with me. So what we do, we go to a door and we knock. Boom, boom. The people open the door and we say, hey, we're from the church across the street and we're here to pray for you. Is there anything that we can pray for? So most of the time people tell us they have something to pray for. It's amazing. 25% of the people are home in the middle of the day on Monday. I still don't understand that. But they're at home in the middle of the day and they let us pray for them. Either they have a sickness, they have somebody doing something. Sometimes they say, nope, everything's great. And so we ask, can we just say a prayer, a blessing over the house? And they let us do that. And occasionally you'll get somebody say, no, I don't need anything, close the door. And if they do, we go on. And after we have the prayer, we say, do you have a moment that I can share something else with you? And nine times out of ten, they say yes. And we get to draw three little circles and show them the perfect plan of salvation with those three circles. So on the 23rd, we're going to teach you how to give a 15-second testimony. 15 seconds. There was a time in my life that I was angry and insecure. Then I met Jesus and I had peace. And now I have hope and security. 15 seconds. Do you have a time in your life like that? That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to give you training on. Now, we're also going to ask you, and uh, I told uh, Patrick that we're going to try this. We've never done this before. Let's see if it works. Our website is ridgeonline.org, so you can go to that. If you have a smartphone, you can have permission to do that right now. So, Patrick, we're going to try to see if this works. Uh, I'm going to do a screen monitoring with Apple TV. 
Look at that, Apple TV. Ah, look, that's my cell phone. So you go to the ridge. Look at that, there it is. We got a nice little website, especially on smartphones. And right there on the bottom, you see Gospel Conversation Training, March 23. All you have to do is touch that, and it tells you that it's going to be on the 23rd from 9 a.m. to 3. And if you scroll down to the bottom, it says click here. If you would click there, and if everybody will do that in this room at this time, maybe we'll break the Internet. It has a little form. All you need to put is your name, your phone number, and email. And the reason we're asking for this is that we're going to have lunch, and I need to know how many buy, people to buy lunch for. And we're also going to have some breakfast. Now, Pastor Jerry has said we're going to have 50 people there. Now, I'm looking in this room, and I think we may have about 110, 120? Yeah. 93. I was off. Ooh. Okay, so that means everybody in this room needs to be there. Sorry, but y'all need to sign up now. And uh, you'll have a day of training. Uh, we will not have childcare here. I'm sorry. So uh, if you have children, one of you may get to stay at home. The other spouse gets to come for the training. And then we'll have a training again in the fall, and then y'all can switch places. But on a serious note, Jesus said, Go. Most people tell me, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid somebody's going to ask a, a question I won't know the answer to. We're going to give you some help on that. Come and, and get equipped. All right. Let's bow for prayer.